This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Episode 343, submission number 2091, Lots of Luck. Lots of Luck aired on NBC from September 10th, 1973 to March 15th, 1974 for 22 episodes. I used to buy a pickle, it only used to cost a nickel, and a bus ride only used to cost a dime. Lots of luck. Them days can be forgotten, the world has gotten rotten. Lots of luck, lots of luck, lots of luck. Every day is getting tougher, and it keeps on getting rougher. Dollar isn't even worth the half a buck. So in order to survive, just to keep yourself alive, what you really need today is lots of luck. 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 After hearing that, I'm expecting at some point uh Greg or somebody doing a Jimmy Durante. That's a luck. Well, that was a little less Jimmy Durante and a little more Dennis Miller cha cha. I'm so glad that now we've begun to establish that Jimmy Durante is a character after the last episode. <laughs> hey, Jimmy Durante and his gigantic Gorgonzola. Shinazola, not Gorgonzola. <laughs> it's a Shinazola. Cha-cha-cha. Jimmy Durante and his giant Shinazola. <laughs> Let's shuffle the categories. Okay, June, it's your pick. Did we shuffle them yet? Well, let's do it. Yeah, interesting we're still talking about a show from the 70s brought into the 80s, but we're supposed to be talking about a show from the 70s. Cha-cha-cha! Good cha-cha! Here we go. It's cha-cha! Get moving with the show, cha-cha! I placed seventh at St. Bernadette's! (laughs) The 70s were an interesting time. In some ways, a continuation of the free love era of the 60s, and others a conservative rebuke of it. And by and large, the optimistic visions of the future and the wanton return to the past gave way to a stalemate that saw the rise of the middle working class as we know it that only seemed to exist in the here and now. Legendary television writers Carl Reiner, Bill Persky, and Sam Denoff, fresh off success with The Dick Van Dyke Show and That Girl, wanted to tap into that sentiment. But the Brits beat them to it. Damn Brits! Ronald Chesney and Ronald Wolfe created a show called On the Buses about a working-class life of Stan Butler and Jack Harper, 
the crew of the number 11 bus at the Luxton and District Motor Traction Company. They originally pitched it to the BBC, who, for some reason or another, decided, you know what, we're good. They had better luck with Frank Muir, the head of entertainment at London Weekend Television. I have to pronounce that correctly. That's what I can't say. Yeah, London Weekend Television. No, it has to be London Weekend Television. They loved the idea. They gave the show an order of seven episodes. It went on for seven seasons, from 1969 to 1973. The best Carl Reiner and his buddies could do at this juncture is take a few of the scripts, Americanize them, change things around, make it fit half an hour, and give a rising comic a break. That rising comic would be Dom DeLuise. Oh, Dom DeLuise? Who's that? No, well, you know, some guy. But yeah, Dom DeLuise, this was the first televised show to feature Dom DeLuise. Well, of course, you would know, have this big old career with the Cannonball Run movies, among other things, because he was in a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, he was Burt Reynolds' like second banana. Yeah, I mean, we can mention stuff like the Dom DeLuise show back in the late 80s. And also... Just a couple weeks ago, I was watching Cozy TV, and he played a doctor on the Munsters. And this is back in, like, 65, 64. Yes, but also, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention, he was the voice of the title character in the movie, Munchie. As featured in MST3K Season 13. And if you haven't seen Munchie, it is ridiculous. It is so stupid. It's great. But also, I think this is the first time I ever get a chance to mention this on the podcast. Because this is a future entry. One day we'll probably do a theme month of VHS like episodes. Dom DeLuise had a cameo in... I can't believe I'm saying this. A promotional tape for Kool-Aid called The Wacky Zany Video. (laughs) Do you know what The Wacky Zany Video is? It's essentially a 30-minute advertisement of Kool-Aid, maybe? Yes, filled with some weird crap that Kool-Aid thought, "Ah, let's just throw it on this VHS tape. The kids will love it. It was basically the 1991 version of a YouTube poop. I love those YouTube poops, especially the King of the Hill ones. King of the Boggle, Hank's Bad Fur Day, Hank of the Hill. Oh, hey, Greg. What? You know where Dom DeLuise also was? Where was he? He was in the first set of Americana. That's right, he was. Was this a Mike's Americana moment? Well, we've talked about Americana in the past, and I just love talking about it because it is, in my opinion, the best non-sports trading card series ever. And the thing is, as I told Greg many years ago, like 
probably close to 20% of the people who were featured in this are now dead. Dom DeLuise. Including Dom DeLuise, yes. And, and, and Ed McMahon. Bernie Mac was in there. There were just so many people who are not with us. Oh, Greg, I I, I think this is a series two. And, and I've been looking at eBay at buying this, Greg. Yeah. You know, you know who is in series two? Who? Ernest Borgnine. Oh, no. That's, that is fantastic. Hold on a second. If I can find it, just hang on a second. If I can find it, give me time out. Give me one second. I'll take a picture of it. I can find it. And I'll send it in the chat. Just stay right there. All right. It's sent. Jeez. Oh. oh. Wait, is that is that in your collection? Yes. <laughs> nice. All right. Can you explain what it is? It is a picture of Telly Savalas. And Ernest Borgnine, they are co-stars, and there are fabric swatches from the shirts that each of them are wearing, it looks like. And it's Americana. We, we need to throw that out. It's Americana. It's a Don Russ Americana card, yes. And the crazy thing is, Greg, I can tell the card below it is Johnny Lee Higgins' 2007 Absolute memorabilia, rookie premier materials card. I know who that is by looking at it. How yeah, because how much of a card freak am I? Yeah, because remember back in the early days of YouTube box breaking of cards, it seemed like everyone who busted a box of 2007 football cards got a Johnny Lee Higgins. I got a Johnny Lee Higgins from Absolute Memorabilia, actually, the same card series. We might have the same exact card, but different numbers, serial. Well, no, mine's autographed. Oh. Yeah, sorry about well, that. Yeah, because I collect the swatches. What's that numbered out of? Oh, the Ernest Borgnine, Telly Savalas? It's 10 out of 250. Oh, dang. Nice. It's a low-numbered card. I probably got it at a card show, so. And the funny thing is I got that card way before we started doing the podcast, so. It's just coincidence that we did a show about Telly Savalas. And Ernest has become like a big character with that one line. Who loves you, baby? I masturbate a lot. I was hoping the answer would be what Chico said to that line that Ernest Borgnine says. Who loves you, baby? Who loves you, baby? I masturbate a lot. That was Telly Savalas as Ernest Borgnine, by the way. And that was extremely creepy. It was. Just Just a little bit. Oh, boy. And I should also add, since we're apparently playing show and tell here this week, uh, in the mail yesterday, uh, I got a card that I bought. I think it was on Sunday night. And this isn't from Night Court. This is uh, from Smallville. But what it is, it's a Richard Ball autograph. That's right. I saw that. But the thing is, it's a Richard Ball autograph because there's no Night Court cards out there. And obviously, Night Court just... uh, in the last couple of days, debuted, and Richard Mull just celebrated his 80th birthday, as we noted on the Twitter page. Oh. www.twitter.com slash it was the thing on TV. We don't know how much longer we're going to be there, but... But it's there. The plugs come early and often. So, uh, yeah, what were we talking about? <laughs> talking about lots of luck. Yes, we're talking about lots of luck, and... Basically, Carl Reiner, Bill Persky, and Sam Dunoff took several of the existing scripts of On the Buses, Americanized them, 
changed the setting from a bus to a bus depot and gave them to the best actors they could find. And they were pretty good. I mean, this is Carl Reiner, Bill Persky, and Sam Dunlop. You think they're going to settle for just whoever? Uh-uh. No. Not happening. So, starring opposite Dom DeLuise as Iris Belmont, who is his mother, Kathleen Freeman, who was in everything from the Blues Brothers to Naked Gun 33 and a Third to Inner Space to... And we talked about this before the show. She apparently did dinner theater in Cleveland. No, Warren, Ohio. Warren. Okay, Cleveland adjacent. More like Youngstown adjacent, but whatever. Whoa. Whoa! Hold on a second. You know who else she played? She was not on camera for this. She was the voice of Peg Bundy's mom on Married with Children. What? What? Peg Bundy's mother never was on camera because supposedly she was very huge. Oh. But, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so huge that, you know, you'd have to, like, use a flatbed uh, truck to, like, get her in the house or... Obviously, if you've ever seen Married with Children, there's been many a, you know, fat joke. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, Peg Bundy's mom was the butt of many of them. Next, we have, playing the role of Stanley's sister, Olive, is Beverly Sanders, who was in uh, the live-action prequel of the Scooby-Doo movie, Scooby-Doo Curse of the Lake Monster. I only bring that up because Haley Kiyoko... Hi, how you doing? But yeah, she was also a sister figure for Mindy McConnell on Mork and Mindy. One episode of Mork and Mindy, I should say. And aside from that, she was pretty much uh, that 70s lady from that 70s thing. Because I can't find another show that she was actually in long term. I know she did six episodes of Rhoda, but that's pretty much it. But I'm going to tell you this. She's a tomato. She is definitely a looker, yes. No, no. We can't say that in 2023. She's a tomato. She's no Katie, though. Always a match game Hollywood Squares reference. Good job, Greg. Good Good job. job. And playing Stanley's brother-in-law, Olive's husband, lazy as hell, Arthur Wynn Irwin. He was a diehard two as an engineer. I'll die hard too. That's a sequel to a Christmas movie. Yeah, that's right. And also Die Hard 2 does take place at Christmas too. Oh yeah. Die Hard 2 takes place at Christmas. Good. That still doesn't make it a Christmas movie. You're entitled to your wrong opinion. That's okay. You know what's so great about Die Hard 2? They find a way to work in Reginald Bill Johnson in Die Hard 2, even though he's on the opposite coast in L.A. while John McClane's in D.C. Oh, and Dennis Franz is in it, too. Yeah. By the way, Bob Saget, a year gone. Reginald Bill Johnson's now America's TV dad. 
Oh yeah, have you seen those ads Reginald Bull Johnson's in hell? That's why I said that. Yes. Mike, have you seen those ads? Which ones? Uh, I believe it was a progressive ad. It was some sort of insurance, either progressive or Geico. I can't tell the difference at this point. But well, yeah. pro- well, progressive. Well, progressive. They're the ones that have Doctor Rick. So it probably isn't that. It's probably Geico. Knowing how they get celebrities and uh, the stuff they do, it can't be progressive. I'm just saying that. But I, I'm still not familiar with it. So I'll have to take a look for that. But hey, I want to throw out another credit for Win Irwin because we've talked about this show. A number of times, we haven't covered it yet, but I think it's an eventuality. He was a regular on Sugar Time. We will get around to that eventually. We talked about this three years ago. Oh, we've talked about it not just in reference a couple years ago, but when we talked about some of the schedules in 77 and 78, it was on uh, being partnered with uh, some of the shows uh, that failed that year. I'm thinking like Blansky's Beauties or something like that. Or maybe I think Sugar Time was NBC. We might have talked about it recently with uh, 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 Serena's Court. But I'm just taking a look at the guest list. Oh, my holy Hannah. If we're flipping out over the guests on Lots of Luck, oh, Sugar Time, we could be here for hours. Just real fast, uh, the people on Sugar Time, listen to this. Barbie Benton. D.D. Carr, Charles Fleischer, Ted Cassidy, and I know Greg likes his Ted Cassidy references, but I'm saving the best for last because we talk about this guy so much. Oh, he's in the hall this year. I guarantee he's in the hall this year. Terry Kaiser. That'll get him in the hall. Oh, birdie. But yeah, that's like the uh, only other major credit I found for Win Irwin. Sadly, no longer with us. He died in 2018. And rounding out the cast as Stanley's friend, Bummy, that's his Christian name, Bummy, Jack Knight, who played a detective at the Detective Bureau in LA Confidential. He played an umpire in Moneyball, because I know you love Moneyball, Greg. Yeah. And he also played Earl Weaver in Baseball's Last Hero 21 Clemente Stories. Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to throw another one. He was a supporting character named Jack on the first season of Cheers. Oh, yeah, the first season of Cheers. Yeah, the season where really it barely survived. Yeah, I'm sure like a young Brandon Tartikoff had faith in it. Yeah, of course. Well, remember that first season was like, yeah, all the critics loved it, but it had like no ratings. And then you get this Cosby show. I'm sorry, this Mr. Black show. And you get Family Ties and you put Night Court in that era as well. And holy Hannah, you've got a show that lasts 10 years. Amazing how that works. But you know what? The early seasons of Cheers, you do get Harry Anderson in it. Harry the Hat! But also you get people like Coach. And I mean, Coach didn't last all that long. Coach actually lasted three seasons. Well, I mean, he didn't last as long as Woody or Rebecca. Yeah. And also, really, he wasn't there for the glory days. I mean, maybe he was there for the beginning of the glory days, but 
Yeah, he was one of those at the beginning. But yeah, Jack Knight, after he was done with Cheers, he moved on to uh, some past entries like The Powers of Matthew Starr and Blind Justice. Ha! Blind Justice? Oh, no. Didn't you know what? That would come up again, did you? You know, it's funny enough, I revisited Blind Justice today before we started. I'm not even joking. If I may ask why? Because I want to listen to an episode that had Rita Sofer on it. Oh, no. I, I thought you were saying you watched an episode of Blind Justice on no! YouTube or something. No. Why oh, would you I watch- just, oh, oh, okay. So you actually downloaded the episode from it was the thing on TV.com. Yes. Another plug. Again, we're coming uh, early with these plugs. Chico's not going to know how to end the show now because we're going to get all the plugs in in the middle of the show. Oh, I'll show. think of something. Don't worry about it. I'll think of something. But okay, no, I thought you were actually talking about watching the show on YouTube or something. You actually listened to the, the podcast, okay. And he was also on an episode of Pepper Dennis, and I only mentioned Pepper Dennis because Rebecca Romaine, Brooke Burns, Lindsay Price, Ryder Strong, and Pooch Hall are all on it. Greg! You're muted! What the hell did you just say, Greg? Ben, Pooch Hall, what a name. <laughs> hey, hey uh, you know what? He was an app host for like three weeks. He was? He hosted WinQuick. I don't know what WinQuick is. Good for you. <laughs> that must have been like before I started all those apps in 2018. No, that was, that was after you said, you know what, I'm good. I'm done. That was basically the cast, and everybody else was either coming or going from the house. And what a house it was. We have Stanley, who has big dreams. He has big dreams and big drive and big ambition. He also has a bossy mother, Iris, a constantly put-upon sister, Olive, and a slovenly unemployed bum of a husband, Arthur. And they all live in Stanley's apartment. So when he's not at home, he's working the lost and found department of the city bus company, supporting the entire family. So basically, Stanley is working day to day, putting his dreams on hold in order to provide for his mother, his sister, and his brother-in-law, who refuses to get a job. And all this is fleshed out in the unaired pilot called The Family Flu, where Ma, Iris, and Olive come down with the flu, ruining Stan and Bummy's double date plans. You think they're done with it? Nope. Olive gives the flu to the whole entire family. Hence, the title of the episode, The Family Flew. NBC watched the pilot, loved what they saw, ordered 22 episodes. And on September 10th of 1973, Lots of Luck made its debut with Olive's Present. Now, it was rare that the pilot didn't air as the first episode, but that's what happened here. They took an episode and they decided this is going to be our first episode. It's called Olive's Present. 
Olive gets her foot stuck in the toilet tank after trying to stand on the broken tank lid. In trying to extricate it, however, Stanley ends up breaking the whole tank. Oh, jeez. Hey, Patty Duke Aston, what do you have to say about that? Uh-oh. Wait, Patty Duke Aston, did you just pull a Susan? Uh-oh. When Stanley tries to avoid paying the stiff price for a new toilet, because of course he does, and plans to use the money earmarked for Olive's birthday present in the process, she insists that he choose an orange toilet with a purple lid. It was the 70s. It was the and, 70s. Hey, That's you know what? what? The, the only way that this could be even more 70s is you find a shag toilet covering, and I know those exist because I had one growing up. Uh-oh. And if you're listening to this, and if you're of a certain age, then so did you. Don't lie to yourself. Uh-oh. Episode 2, The Bare Facts. Olive is concerned that Arthur has visited the free clinic three times in one week, and that this may be a sign that he's seriously ill. Stanley isn't as concerned about Arthur's well-being, but under pressure from his mother, Stanley calls the clinic and is informed that Arthur hasn't visited the clinic in weeks. Olive, Stanley, and their mother fear that this could mean only one thing. Arthur has found another woman. Patty Duke Essence, just get out of your system. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah, we found another new sound effect that we're going to just beat to death. And wait till you find out who the lady is. The lady in question is a lady by the name of Lenore, played by Patty Hyder, who was another that woman from that thing, but she was in three episodes of Marcus Welby, MD, playing three different characters. Episode three, Trial Separation. On their seventh wedding anniversary, Olive and Arthur have a terrible fight when Arthur tries to save money by recycling the anniversary card he gave Olive the year before. This leads them to initiate a trial separation, except that because Arthur is unemployed, the separation consists of his sleeping first on the living room couch and then trying to bunk with Stanley. Corky, you want to say anything about this? You won't believe what happened! Episode 4, The Librarian. Stanley's mother invites a librarian over for dinner, thinking she'll be a nice girl for Stanley to meet. Oh, of course. Why not? It's a mother looking after her kid. What's not to like? Initially irritated at his mother's matchmaking, Stanley soon changes his mind when he sees how attractive the woman is. Hmm. As Stanley starts to woo her on his own, however, she warns him that she's not really the kind of girl he thinks. The girl's name is Millie. And, oh god, she is played by Jackie Joseph who is just, oh my gracious, what hasn't she been in? She was Sheila Butterman in Gremlins. She was the original Audrey in the original Little Shop of Horrors from 1960. Wow! 
and she was Mrs. Kirkland in the best Police Academy movie out there, Come At Me, Police Academy for Citizens on Patrol. And we'll be talking about someone from the cast of Police Academy 4 in the next episode. Stay tuned. Yeah, I think you guys have said in the past, Police Academy 4 is the best Police Academy movie, and I'm not going to fight you on that. And I do want to add a couple more roles for Jackie Joseph. She was the voice of Melody on Josie and the Pussycats. Nice. But it gets even better because she was on the follow-up series as Melody as well. Josie and the Pussycats in Outer Space, and that's on the list. Yes! So that means you could go on HBO Max right now, I believe, and see Josie and the Pussycats in Outer Space. Yeah, provided that Discovery hasn't yanked it yet. Well, it was there a while ago, but... I think we're going to do a little research while you go to the next episode. All right. I think I'm going to let you. Episode five. The suit. Frustrated at the rising cost of living and Arthur's continuing unemployment, Stanley gives Arthur an ultimatum. Get a job or he'll get no more food paid for by Stanley. Arthur agrees, but another complication arises. Arthur doesn't have a presentable suit for an interview. Stanley's pal Bummy comes up with a solution. Arthur can borrow an expensive suit from the bus company's lost and found department long enough for one interview that looks like a good prospect. Man, he's cheap. It's the 70s, and he's a working class step. What do you expect? But he has to borrow a suit? He has to borrow a suit. That just seems really cheap, really too frugal, but my opinion. So far, this whole series has read like it was based on something British and perhaps presented like, you know, this cutting edge comedy, which it really sounds like it is. Let's see what else we can find. Episode six, Mom's Secret. Stanley and Olive notice that their mother has gone out three nights in a row, supposedly to do the laundry at a laundromat. They become even more suspicious when she almost forgets the laundry bag before she leaves. But then Bunny comes by and partially solves the mystery. He saw her the night before going into a bar, accompanied by a gentleman. Oh, you don't know the half of it, Greg. The Gentleman is played by Harold Gould. Oh! Mr. Dapper Grandfather himself. Josie and the Pussycats in Outer Space is not on HBO Max anymore. Thanks, Warner Brothers Discovery. Thanks a lot, WB Discovery. Jerks. Another crappy move done by that merger. One in a list of many, anyway. Oh, by the way, Harold Gould, he played Arnie Peterson on 13 episodes of The Golden Girls. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yeah. Did Betty White bang him to death? (laughs) (laughs) No. No. Banged someone else to death, though. We won't talk about that yet later, though. He is in an episode of a show that we're covering for Valentine's Day. 
Tony Franciosa in Finder of Lost Loves, which, let's be honest, that's Luther Vandross's ticket to the It Was a Thing Hall of Fame. Also remember, it's gotta be Cheryl Teagues! Oh, one more thing I want to add about Harold Gould. He was in an episode of Love American Style, the original. Now, that doesn't really make a big difference. I know we talk about the new Love American Style versus the original and whatnot. But most importantly, in the episode Love in the Happy Days, he originated the role of Howard Cunningham. That was kind of sort of the pilot for Happy Days. He created that role of Howard Cunningham. And of course... We know who got it later in the uh, show itself. Tom! Tom Bobby! There you go. Episode 7. The Winning Purse. Tired of hearing Stanley complain about bills, Arthur offers Stanley an easy way to make money by following Arthur's horse racing tips. Stanley refuses, but his mother insists upon placing a $2 bet on one of Arthur's hot tips. Stanley believes that this is both foolish and immoral, but reconsiders when two of Arthur's recommendations pay off? What? Huh? Huh? Well, law of averages, the sun's gotta shine on a dog's ass once in a while, right? Playing the role of Ernie Kaplan, who may or may not be Arthur's bookie, a guy we talked about a number of times on this show... Danny Wells. Maybe making a Hall of Fame case? Maybe making a Hall of Fame case. Hey, he was Luigi, damn it. But as we, of course, established in the Carter Country episode, he did not fall down that elevator shaft on L.A. Law. Oh, no, no, no! It was this person. Break don't! I really didn't want to talk about it. Oh, geez, a Pulaski episode? <laughs> I was expecting Chico to say that, but I had to chime in. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what? That's okay. <laughs> if you didn't say it, I was going to say it. It was just right there. It was asking for it. I know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And also on this episode, playing the role of Mr. Feeney, Martin Ash, who was in four episodes of Bewitched, one of which he played Franklin Pierce. Wait a second, Mr. Feeney? Wasn't he supposed to be on Boy Meets World? No, you're ah. thinking of another Mr. Feeney. <laughs> you're thinking of the guy who's the voice of a car. Yes. But 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 it says Mr. Feeney there. Okay. Oh, he also played the butler in Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Oh, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. That's when, after 15 years, they finally got off that damn island. Yeah. They got the money from the insurance. They bought a new boat, which they christened the Minnow 2, and crashed on the same damn island. What are the odds? It's like when Felix Leiter was bitten by a shark twice. But only in the continuity of the Bond novels, not in the Only movies. in the continuity of the Bond novels. Got it. Episode 8. The Family Plot. 
The city of New York sends the Belmonts a letter that in order to expand its airport, yeah, which one? It intends to condemn the cemetery plot where Stanley's and Olive's late father and their mother's late husband is buried. At first, they balk at moving him, but change their minds when they learn that the city is offering $2,000 for the land. It's a lot of money back in 1973. Then Stanley comes to believe that he can finally get his long-desired color television set if they can find a replacement plot for substantially less than the $2,000. Ooh, playing the role of H.R. Bunce, if I'm not mistaken, uh, representative for the city who volunteers to move the body. Henry Corden. Now, the name may not sound familiar, but his voice is hella familiar. And we talked about him on this show before. We talked about him back at the uh, Weird Al show, where he played perhaps the main voice that he's known for, Fred Flintstone. Yep, he took over the role when Alan Reed died. Episode 9. The Shrink. Stanley's insomnia has woken up the entire household. His best friend, Bummy, tells Stanley that the bus company they work for are thinking of demoting him to driving a bus. He talks Stanley into seeing a psychiatrist, Dr. Schrager, played by Elliot Reed, Dr. Schrager feels his problems stem from anger towards his wife, who may have grown unattractive, takes refuge in eating, is lazy, and refuses to do any kinds of work. And invents some mythical illness to justify it. Possibly dresses in a slovenly manner, maybe even slops about the house all day in a housecoat. Stanley is single, but the behaviors perfectly describe his brother-in-law, Arthur. I'll review this. Dr. Schrager feels his problems stem from anger towards his wife, who may have grown unattractive, takes refuge in eating, is lazy and refuses to do any kind of work, and invents some mythical illness to justify it, possibly dresses in a slovenly manner, maybe even slops about the house all day in a housecoat. Again, Stanley, not married, but that describes Arthur to a T. So Stanley brings Arthur with him next time upon the doctor's suggestion, and he further says that in order for Stanley to get regular sleep, he must be Arthur's friend. A cure that is potentially worse than the disease. Episode 10, The New Stan. Stanley strikes out after going through his little black book, his best friend, Bummy, comes over and suggests them going out to a mod singles bar. They go to a clothing store called Mr. Mister to find Stanley an appropriate outfit to wear. At the bar, Stan is misfiring on all cylinders despite his new velvet suit. Bummy tells Stan the problem is his hair's wide part. He gets a wig at the barber shop that makes him look much younger and sparks a large laugh from his brother-in-law, Arthur. Stanley gets in trouble at the bar when he's mistaken for being one of the young troublemakers. Talk about flipping your lid, am I right? We have a name in this episode. Playing Tony is Sammy Shore 
I thought we talked about him in the past, but I cannot find anything we've talked about him on. The main reason I bring him up is he's Pauly Shore's dad. Oh. Oh, wow. We know, obviously, who Pauly Shore's mom is. We don't know about his dad. No, his dad was on this episode. Yeah. Episode 11, Arthur's Inheritance. A telegram arrives for Arthur, the contents of which he tries to hide from the family. Stanley presses him at the dinner table by threatening to cut off his food supply. His 93-year-old Uncle Elroy in Montana has died and left him a little something. Arthur phones the lawyer to learn that he will inherit $20,000, but tells the family it's only 20 bucks in a cowboy saddle. His wife, Olive, was listening on the other phone and comes into the kitchen about to faint, making her mother think it's the fumes from the cabbage. Stanley is upset by the turn of events and decides to add up all the meals he has mooched off the family and hit him with a bill. The total is 7,000 meals for which he charges a dollar a meal. Arthur's bank gives him a credit card and suggests he invests the money in a condominium in Honolulu. They also say he doesn't have to pay the meal tab, so Stanley now charges $40 rent per week. The lawyer, who is played by Alvie Moore, who you'd know as Hank Kimball from Green Acres, visits him after the will is settled, and Arthur learns that there is one certain condition to the inheritance. It doesn't say what it is. Hold on. He was supposed to pay $40 in what? $40. Oh, I see where you're going with this. He's paying $40 rent. Of rent! $40 of rent! I want to see rent. You guys are goofing about that. I'm dead over the fact that this woman fainted because of the fumes of boiling cabbage. It's not sauerkraut. It's boiling cabbage. It shouldn't smell that bad. It doesn't smell like anything. It doesn't taste like anything either. That's what I'm saying. It's boiling cabbage. Yeah, Irish is just a rubbish cook. Or maybe she can't tell the difference between cabbage and sauerkraut or something. I don't know. I I understand that sauerkraut, you know, that is really pungent. But cabbage? Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Not buying it. Uh-uh. No. And I like a good cabbage, especially on St. Patrick's Day. A little bit of cabbage with the uh, brisket of corned beef. Oh, that's a meal and a half. And apparently the stipulation is he has to share it with the rest of the family. And Arthur just cannot bring himself to do it, so... Of course you can't. Okay, so the next episode, The Belmont Connection. A man brings a package into the lost and found where Stanley and Bummy work. Another man named Mr. Smith arrives a few minutes later to pick up the package. At home, Stanley's dinner is interrupted by Columbo lookalike Lieutenant Milford with the police department's Bureau of Narcotics. He informs Stanley that they believe the lost and founds will be used as a drop for drugs. Stanley tells Bummy about the situation the next day, comparing it to the French Connection. 
they become suspicious about a woman named Miss Jones who comes to pick up a package. Lieutenant Milford learns that the drop will occur the next morning and he will be there with undercover agents surrounding the place in all disguises. There is a moment where Stanley points a submarine sandwich with a planted microphone at the man who comes for the package. The mic falls out of the sandwich and Stanley and Lieutenant Milford are held at gunpoint as hostages. Can they be saved by the unlikeliest of heroes? Probably Arthur. <laughs> so we have a whole host of uh, host of people here. The man with the gun is played by J.J. Barry, and that's not the guy who hosts the Joker's Wild. Sorry. And Mr. Smith played by Joe Cortese, who you would remember as Gio Loscudo opposite Vigo Mortensen in Green Book. The name might be Cortez. It's spelled C-O-R-T-E-S-E. But remember, Dan Cortez from MTV spelled his name the same way. So it might be Joe Cortez. Well, later he would credit himself as Dan Cortese. Regardless. I also want to bring up him because, Greg, you're going to love this. Hope you're sitting. He was on three episodes of 18 Wheels of Justice. Oh, that's terrific. 18 Wheels of Justice. Yeah. I knew you'd love that. What a legendary show. It's a shame we don't have these episodes. V.I., Mill Creek, Keno Warber, somebody put this series back on DVD. Please. I'm not paying a hundred bucks for the episodes in English. Well, enjoy them in French then, Greg, you cheapskate. Chica, what were you going to say about Green Book? I was just about to say, this is the classiest credit he's probably ever going to have on this show. He played Sal in two episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, that's terrific. What episodes? They would be the Gang Gets Whacked, Part 2. And two episodes later, the gang dances their asses off. Oh, that's a great episode. You were talking about J.J. Barry earlier? J.J. Barry, yes. He played a godfather in a season four episode of Soap. Episode 13. Will you marry me? Nope. Stanley has been dating a new woman named Marcia and invites her to dinner to meet his family. Sure you want to do that, Stanley? As the evening progresses, Stanley decides that it's finally time to pop the question. He learns, however, that as a modern woman, Marcia has other ideas about how a couple could and should determine their compatibility before marriage. So it's not exactly a funny episode, but... It's a rather clever one, I think. It's one of the stronger episodes. Hey, the person that played that girl, Marcia? Uh-huh. Pat Finley. The biggest role I'd say she had was she played Ellen Hartley on the Bob Newhart show. She played Bob Hartley's sister for about two seasons. Episode 14. Do me a favor. One of Stanley's old friends from the neighborhood, Nunzio Ferentino, is now Rick Ferris, a successful singer who lives in Hollywood. 
where in the Belmont's learn that Nunzio slash Rick is putting on a show in New York, they get the idea to call him for free tickets. Stanley decides to take advantage of the tickets to get a date with an attractive woman in the parts department at the bus company, but things don't work out quite as Stanley intends. Stanley gives the ticket to the woman, Lois. They visit Nunzio slash Rick and his entourage in his dressing room after the show. By the way, those two tickets are the last two in the whole city. So yeah. And future Hall of Famer playing Nunzio Ferentino slash Rick Ferris. Alex Rocco! That's <laughs> terrific! Alex Rocco! Making his case for the Hall of Fame. Of course, where do we know him from? The famous Teddy Z. And of course... No, no, no! We know him as the voice of B. Arthur in the Tony Danza movie <laughs> about Joe right. Swanson. Oh You'll never make it, Joe! Why don't you just give up? You know what? It was a big stretch probably for Tony Danza to not play a character named Tony. And you know what? God bless him for it. For playing the role of Joe Swanson. And of course, he got Valerie Bertinelli as a wife. We should all be so lucky. Yes. But hold on. You mentioned Tony Danza, so keep talking. I'm going to be searching for something. Okay. Barbara Brownell plays Lois, and she was and is a very attractive lady. She was, during the 80s, a that woman from that thing, but she played three different characters on... Three different episodes of the original Night Court. She played Mrs. Laporta, Mrs. McDonald, and Mrs. Sanders. That seems so weird. We now have to preface that with the original Night Court. Yes. She was... Oh my god! Oh my god! Y'all! 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 She was in the video, Be Somebody or Be Somebody's Fool. Oh, that's terrific! Mother! I always love her. My mother. So treat her right. Treat her You know what? Whenever I think of that, you know what I think of whenever I think of Mr. T doing that? I think of his stirring WWE Hall of Fame speech where he spent like, it seemed like an hour talking about his mother and the crowd saying, Thank you, Mama! <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Mama! You, mama. I think we need a moment to uh, collect ourselves. Why don't we watch a few era-appropriate commercials, and we'll come back and do the rest of the run. How about that? After these messages, we'll be right back. Ever stay at a hotel you thought was convenient, only to find out your business is way across town? Well, Holiday Inn gives you a choice of locations in every major city. Just look at the time. There's another Holiday Inn. And as every businessman knows, that can really pay off. You're late. What kept you? Oh, the traffic was murder. Should have stayed at the Holiday Inn. Get closer to your business with Holiday Inn, the most accommodating people in the world. Here she is, the finest you can buy. How do I know? I made them by hand. Took me 12 days. For you, a bargain at 80 bucks. Now here we got the opposition. Fair double knits at 20 bucks. Their secret? A great fit. And I hate to admit it, a lot of pant for the money. What am I wearing? You've got to be kidding. I know a great buy when I see one. Ferris slacks, $10 to $30. Next best thing to tailor-made. Maybe better. 
Hello, I'm the cooking lady with a marvelous dinner idea for these hectic holidays. Take your roasting pan, your skillet, your mixing bowls, and get rid of them. <laughs> Just get Kentucky Fried Chicken, the Colonel's salads, his mashed potatoes and gravy, his desserts. It's a delicious, complete meal. And cooking is such a drag, anyway. Well, bon appetit, or as the Colonel says, seasoned greetings. Hello. Uh, good morning. I'm your future. Yeah, my who? Your future. <laughs> Look, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to run. Yes, the present does keep you quite busy. Still, you can't help wondering what's in your future. Well, could you just give me a little hint? Well, there's that country place, you know, the one down by the lake. Yeah. Now, speaking as your future, I'd say buy savings bonds now in the present. Well, be seeing you. Well, wait a minute. Uh, hello? Hello? Now, in the zenith tradition of dependability and picture excellence, comes a whole new television system. New Zenith Solid State Chroma Color 2, with a more powerful solid state chassis, a unique voltage regulator to protect components, and an advanced chroma color picture tube. You get Zenith dependability and Zenith's best color picture yet. New Zenith Solid State Chroma Color 2. At Zenith, the quality goes in before the name goes on. Welcome back from commercials. And while we were having that break, I showed Mike and Chico that little bit of research. And Chico, can you say what I found? Okay, it's a good thing I warmed up here. The garbage picking, field goal kicking Philadelphia phenomenon, which features Tony Danza as a kicker. For the Philadelphia Eagles. And making a cameo in that movie is Philadelphia Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie. But also, you know who played the stand-in for Tony Danza in that movie with the kicking? I know who I know who it is because I'm looking right at it. Place kicker for the Indianapolis Colts and the Toronto Argonauts, Mike. Vanderjat. And you know what that means. I'm about to go in and throw a touchdown to Jerry Rice. We're honoring the Hall of Fame. We're talking about our idiot kicker who got liquored up and ran his mouth off. Yeah, he was called an idiot kicker. Yes. The greatest reign of all time by Peyton Manning. <laughs> our idiot kicker who got liquored up. Episode 15. Stan and the Wealthy Widow. The Belmonts entertain Stanley's former acquaintance from high school, Wilma Wallachek, who at the time was known as Two-Ton Wallachek. Wilma's now out of the Marine Corps, slims down considerably, and the widow of an elderly man who ran a cat food company. Wilma's still grateful to Stanley because he was the only boy who was kind to her in high school, offers him a job with her company or at a substantial increase in pay over the bus company. Stanley, though put off by some of Wilma's annoying personal quirks, eagerly accepts, but soon learns that Wilma has an ulterior motive for her generosity. Look at this name playing Wilma. Oh, I'm looking at it. Ruth Buzzy. So she would have left uh, laughing probably a year or two earlier, because that ended in like 73. Three-ish? Yep. Okay. So this is around that same time. 
plus Ruth Buzzy as a Marine veteran. I can see it. But there is an ulterior motive. Wilma wants to repay Stanley's kindness. Physically. Oh! <laughs> Episode 16, The Talent Show. The annual bus company talent show has come around again with the first prize, a week's vacation in Miami. Stanley and Bummy initially discuss reviving their routine as a music and comedy duo, but when they have a falling out, Stanley decides to present a magic act, which owes more than a little to Dom DeLuise's alter ego as the inept magician Dominic the Great. To complete the act, he recruits the voluptuous Rene Muldoon as his stage assistant, who he also would like to accompany him to the trip to Miami if he wins. So yeah, this is essentially an episode-length bit with Dominic the Great, which is one of uh, Dom DeLuise's characters. By the way, Playing the role of Rene Muldoon. Familiar name, Louisa Moritz. Where most people would know her from, she appeared on a number of weeks of Match Game back in like 74, 75. Where other people would know her, she played Myra in Death Rates 2000. And, and with all due respect, since she did pass uh, four years ago at this point, Whenever I saw her on Match Game, I would not call her Louisa Moritz. I'd call her Louisa the Ditz. She was! I'm sorry! She was a Ditz. With all due respect to the deceased. Hey, another name. Uh, well, first off, Danny Wells is in this episode, too. He comes back as Ernie Kaplan. But in this episode playing Ronnie, who I'm guessing is somebody who uh, works at the bus uh, depot, the bus company, is... Johnny Brown. We've talked about him. Well, first off, he just died last year, unfortunately, but he was on good times. He was Nathan Bookman, but also we've sort of referred to him in the past because, Greg, he was on the Christmas week of Beat the Clock in 1979. I remember that week. That was a good week. I think he was paired with Patty Deutsch, if I'm not mistaken. He was. And I just want to see Greg's reaction. I mean, notice he's now like totally stone cold, dead quiet, because he's just an amazement. I somehow pigeonholed a reference to Beat the Clock from 1979 in this episode. Oh, yes, you did. Oh, and as we're talking today, I think uh, Buzzer had their Lost and Found week, and they did air some Beat the Clock Gene Wood episodes. They did. That was something. But, but not the Canadian ones. No, that was Canadian. Oh, that was Canadian? Huh, I wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, when they say, oh, well, from Montreal, yeah, they're Canadian. Okay. Plus, they had Nick Verhollenreich. He was the announcer on the Mad Dash and other Canadian game shows. Episode 17, A Little Order of Law and Order. The Belmont household is the victim of burglary. Not getting much help from the police, Stanley decides to install a burglar alarm, but finds that it is not particularly effective. So Stanley decides to move on to an alternate plan. Getting a killer watchdog. 
he gets this dog from the animal shelter. It's trained to attack strangers. But here's the thing. It takes up a bond with Arthur. So the killer dog? Not a killer. Hell, Arthur's more of a killer than the dog. And the burglar hits the home again. What's a boy to do when the burglar hits the same house twice? What is a boy to do? Episode 18. You ought to be in pictures. Stan decides to compete for the part of Driver Dan, the bus company's spokesman in a series of local television commercials. His everyman look, such as being chubby and balding, hi, how you doing, seems to get him the part. But when he's invited to audition on a television set, Stan discovers that there's more to appearing in a television commercial than just smiling and saying a few words for the camera. The director, who is played by the inimitable Ronnie Shell, wants to test him for the part, but he insists he lose 10 pounds by the next week. But he's not the only name in this episode, is he? Because playing the announcer of the Driver Dan commercials, John Harlan. Oh! Man of a thousand voices, all of them his own. And then we have Jerry Fogle, who would have been in ten episodes of The White Shadow, playing the role of Buzz, who is, uh, I guess, one of Stan's co-workers at the bus company. But White Shadow wouldn't come until much, much later. Episode 19, Stan's Assistant. Because of the energy crisis, more people are riding the bus, and more items are piling up in the Lost and Bound department, creating a different crisis for Stanley. His boss decides to hire an assistant for Stanley, and he suggests a guy he knows. His ne'er-do-well brother-in-law, Arthur. Stanley soon discovers that not only does this mean working eight hours a day with his detested relative, but that his boss shows signs of preferring Arthur as an employee over Stanley. So, this, perhaps, of the uh, 22 episodes is perhaps the most telling of the times that we live in, because, again, we're talking about early to mid-1970s, what's going on? The energy crisis. The side effect? Everybody's riding the bus. The side effect of that? Everybody's getting their stuff lost. Stan needs an assistant. Here comes Arthur. There's one kind of sort of name in this episode playing Mullins is Cliff Norton. And the only reason I mentioned Cliff Norton, I think we've talked about him in the past or talked about this show. Uh, this may even be a future installment. He played Ed Huddles on the cartoon... Where's Huddles? What's Huddles? Forget where's Huddles. What's Huddles? Well, you mean what's where's Huddles? Okay, now this is becoming a big, like, you know, who's on first type of thing. So what is where's Huddles? According to IMDb, the misadventures of a team of football players and their families on and off the field, an animated series from 1970. And it's a Hanna-Barbera joint, it looks like. Ah, but listen to some of these names. Oh, my gosh. Cliff Norton, Mel Blank, Paul Lind, 
Gene Vanderpill, Dick Enberg, Don Messick, Alan Reed, Nancy Culp, Joe Besser. How about that? That's like a murderer's row of just great talent. We may have to save this for uh, Super Bowl week 2024. Oh, that's an idea. Episode 20. Arthur makes his move. Arthur discovers that his old Navy buddy Monroe is being treated at the same clinic that Arthur uses. Arthur invites Monroe over to dinner and Stanley finds Monroe to be the same kind of freeloader as Arthur is. But Monroe helps bring change to the Belmont household when Arthur reacts to an insult from Stanley by moving into Monroe's apartment. Monroe? Playing the role of Monroe... Alan Oppenheimer. Oh, I was hoping for Jim J. Bullock. No, he'd be too young. Especially in 1974. But man, oh man, where have we talked about Alan Oppenheimer in the past? Plenty of things. Skeletor. Yep. He was Skeletor, the original He-Man in the Masters of the Universe. Does this also mean he was on that Christmas special? Yes. Yes, it does. So, so he has a direct relationship with the dildo copter. Oh, no. You knew if I was going to bring up the holiday special, you knew the dildo copter was coming up. Don't pretend that you didn't know that. I'm not even going to try and pretend. You just feel dirty even acknowledging it. I wake up feeling dirty. Thank you very much. By the way, he also played Skeletor in the Chippendales Rescue Rangers movie from last year. Oh, yes. But he plays King Grayskull in the current run of the show, so it all comes full circle for him. Episode 21, Bummy's Girl. Bummy has fallen hard for his new girlfriend, Gloria, so much so that he's even thrown away his little black book. While he's off visiting his parents in Baston, Bummy asks Stanley to take Gloria out so that he can be sure no one else is dating her. Stanley complies, of course, and is astonished to find that Gloria begins to prefer his company to the handsome Bummy. Playing the role of Gloria, y'all. Big name. Suzanne Summers. Woo-hoo! How did she land Bummy? But yeah, this is uh, Suzanne Summers' first grown-up television role. And amazingly enough, it came three years before the role that she would come to be known for, Chrissy Snow in Three's Company. And this was only one year removed from her playing an elusive blonde in the T-Bird in American Graffiti. Final episode, Get Off My Back. Which is probably what Stanley's been saying to his entire family this whole time. In the final episode, we find Stanley at work. His mom calls to tell him that his brother-in-law, Arthur, overflowed his bathtub and it leaked, creating a hole in their ceiling. Stanley returns home, climbs a ladder to repair the damage. Bubby comes over and swings open the kitchen door, knocking Stanley off the ladder, injuring him. And after the do I have a son or do I have a son routine that his mom does, 
He agrees to go to the clinic Arthur sees. The doctor suggests physical therapy three times a week at $15 a visit. Stanley can't stomach the expense and takes Bummy's suggestion to stage the accident at work so he can get workers' compensation. Things, however, take an unexpected turn. One of the people in this episode, Mr. Henderson, played by Bob Hoy. Bob Hoy from The High Chaparral and The Outlawed Josie Wales. And that's the show. I mean, we all see how it all plays out with, you know, Stanley with his dreams and his drive. He is the classic victim of circumstance, and that feeds into Tom DeLuise's sort of comedy, doesn't it? And it's incredibly well-written. It's incredibly well-acted. This was a show that was engineered for success. So, what happened? Well, the short answer is, it couldn't find an audience. Yes, it had critical success, but that means nothing if you can't find an audience. And if we look at the schedule here, because I have the schedule, it aired Monday nights on NBC, paired with another future entry, Diana, with Diana Rigg. That was a really bad place to put a really promising show. Not so much what was on ABC at the time, which was The Rookie, but what was on CBS at the time? Little show, you may have heard of it. Gunsmoke. Oh. And Gunsmoke, I believe, lasted until 75. So this is like the dying days of Gunsmoke. The, the dying days of Gunsmoke is still attracting an audience. I have the season average up here from the TVRatingsGuide.com, and Gunsmoke was still in the top 20, placing 12th overall for the season. The other 12 shows in the listing, All the Family, The Walton, Sanford and Son, Mash, Hawaii 5.0, Maude, Kojak, Sonny and Cher, Mary Teller, Morgan Cannon, The Six Million Dollar Man, The Bob Newhart Show, The Wonderful World of Disney. So yeah, this would have been number 16 or 17 of 19 seasons for Gunsmoke. And still to this day holds the record for longest-running Western television show. By the way, The Rookies, not to be outdone, was top 30. So I'm looking at the averages of the two TV shows. Gunsmoke had a 22.3 rating. The Rookies had a 20.3. Lots of Luck had a 16.9. Which was good enough to get it to run the entire season, but not any further. With the show failing to find an audience on NBC, NBC was just good to let it go. But, don't cry for the career of Dom DeLuise. He's been active up until his death. But, if you want to watch this TV show... You can catch select episodes unofficially on YouTube. However, and I don't often get to say this, this show did get an official DVD release. 
Tomorrow's Entertainment put the entire series on DVD. It's out of print, so it captures a large price on the secondary market. And as a man much wiser than I once said, if you see one, grab it. If you see two, leave one for the next collector. But yeah, uh, lots of luck. show had a lot of promise, but it also had a lot of competition. It could have been the next edgy sitcom to come out of the 70s, but opposite Gunsmoke and the Rookies, unfortunately, it just became a thing on TV. Wow! I wish I was dead. To be or not to be, to live in a box, or to make merry, party time, arriba! Who said that? Me, I did, pal. It's me. You want us to draw you a map? Inside the box! Inside the box? Yeah. Right. This is one of those hidden video shows, right? Wrong. Okay, you got me. Where are the cameras? No cameras, no special effects. Just little old me inside this little old box. Get it? How'd you get in there? Long story, pal. But right now, the secret word is open sesame. Who are you? Ah, listen, pal. You couldn't even pronounce my name. But I'll tell you what. You can call me Munchie. Hey, how about pulling out that pin so I can get out of here? You won't hurt me. Hurt you? Hey, pal, I'm your new friend. I help, I dazzle, I make better. I'm friendly to a fault. That's it. That's it. Whoa! Ooh, just what I always wanted. A room with a view. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime gal. Send me a kiss, my wife. Baby, my heart's on fire. If you refuse me, honey, you lose me. Then you'll be left alone. Oh, baby, come on and tell me I'm your own. Hey, I'm losing the crowd. what I do? Episode 344, submission number 315, Free Spirit. Free Spirit aired on ABC from September 22nd, 1989 to January 14th, 1990 for 14 episodes, one of which went unaired. Unless, of course, you're living in Australia when you're listening to this. September 22nd, 1989, a day that would live in the lore of television as long as you or I or any member of Generation X and or Millennials 
continued to draw breath and walk upright. It was the premiere of TGIF. Now, ABC has programmed family blocks on Friday nights before TGIF. I mean, we all remember the likes of Webster, Mr. Belvedere, the final season of Different Strokes, Sledgehammer, The Charmings, previous entry, I Married Dora. But then, in around 1987, you see sort of the genesis with Full House and Perfect Strangers all on the same night. All of a sudden, they're thinking, okay, you know what? And I'll tell you who is thinking this, because he is credited with the creation of TGIF, and that would be Jim Janicek, the head of programming for ABC. Prior to the official launch of the blog, Janicek was employed as a writer and producer for ABC Entertainment in charge of promoting the network's Tuesday and Friday night comedy lineups. Now, recalling his childhood, when his family would gather to watch The Wonderful World of Disney, much like Greg used to do and still does from time to time, he was inspired to create a family-oriented comedy block. And in 1988, he finally got his wish when he gained support for his concept, approaching the studios and talent of independently produced ABC shows, promoting the synergy and potential success of the Family Block brand. Four ABC-oriented comedy series were on board, and that was enough to get the ball rolling with the backing of network president and current head of the Walt Disney Company, Bob Iger. I saw you do your little smile there, Greg. I saw Yeah, that. people forget that he was at ABC when he started out. Yep, he was at ABC when he started out. He did great things for ABC. He did great things for Disney. He continues to do great things for Disney. However, I should note, he is the man who allegedly pushed for infamously telling David Lynch and Mark for us to reveal who Laura Palmer's killer was on Twin Peaks. And that sure turned out well. Spoiler alert. No, it did not turn out well. Okay, so the block of predominantly family-friendly sitcoms was officially inaugurated with the 1988-1989 season with three shows that were slated to be part of the block and would be a launching pad for a fourth show, the show that we are talking about right here and now. The first official schedule for TGIF was Full House at 8, The Perfect Strangers spinoff Family Matters at 8.30, which would be a new show then, The Mothership Perfect Strangers at 9, and Just the Ten of Us at 9.30. Except for September 22nd, where they would air a special preview of Free Spirit because they want this show to find an audience. They want people watching. They want people following. They want everybody to get on board with this premise. 
So we all know what happens to Full House. We all know what happens to Family Matters. And we all know what happens to Perfect Strangers. Just the ten of us, not many people know what happens to that, but it's not going to be a show that we end up covering on this show. But Free Spirit did collect an audience on par with the rest of the lineup. Full House scored a 15.1 in the ratings at 8 o'clock. Family Matters had a 13.9, respectable, first place in its time slot, opposite two other new shows. CBS's Snoops, and a show that NBC aired one season of and then canceled, stupidly, Baywatch. And then you have Perfect Strangers with a 14.6 against Dallas, which would be on its final season or damn near close to it. Dallas went to 91, so. So this would be on its penultimate season. And then Free Spirit launched to a 14.6 rating. But Free Spirit was not going to remain on Fridays for long. Because, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's talk about the show first. According to TVTropes.org, a fantastic comedy, a short-lived fantastic comedy, where every 100 years, a witch must provide assistance to a mortal in need. When the time comes for the fun-loving, cute witch Winnie Goodwin to perform public service in this manner, she finds herself becoming a magical nanny and a new friend to the Harper children. Young, intellectual, and budding scientist Jean, middle child syndrome poster girl Jessie, and the trouble-making, trouble-unmaking Rob. The kid's father, divorced lawyer Thomas T.J. Harper, remains unaware that Winnie can do the magic she does. Suffice it to say, some of her spells go wrong, and hilarity ensues. Our mischievous and vivacious witch Winnie is played by Corinne Borer, who you would probably remember from ER, that's E slash R, which we talked about on this podcast. But also in undoubtedly the best of the seven Police Academy films, and I'm willing to take this to my grave. Police Academy for Citizens on Patrol. That's right. She was the love interest to Bobcat Goldthwait in Police Academy 4. But yeah, aside from that, she was in a lot of canceled projects. And fun fact, her only nude scene was in a comedy she starred opposite Randy Quaid with called Dead Solid Perfect. It was produced by HBO. It was basically a tin cup with HBO guts. If I want to watch Tin Cup, I'll see the movie Tin Cup, because at least that has Kevin Costner. And Don Johnson. And Renee Russo. Are we yeah. forgetting Renee Russo? Okay, yeah, and Renee Russo. And Don Johnson and Cheech. I think, isn't Cheech in Tin Cup? I believe Cheech is in Tin Cup. Oh, you know who else is in Tin Cup, guys? 
Who else was in Tin Cup? Jim Nance. Hello, friends. Yeah. Corinne Borer. She plays Winnie, and she's summoned by 10-year-old Jean, who is played by Eden Gross. He was a child actor from that grown-up thing. He was in... Oh, boy. Here's, here's another list, guys. Cheers, Murphy Brown, The Golden Girls, Empty Nest, New Heart, Highway to Heaven, Married with Children, Northern Exposure, Herman's Head, Sweet Surrender, and Walter and Emily. He was also the voice of the good guy dolls in Child's Play. Oh, jeez. Yeah, he didn't play the voice of the good guy doll for long. But hold on. You know who was in Child's Play, Chico? Who was in Child's Play? Catherine Hicks. And we're going to be talking about more of her soon. Yes. In another short-lived TV show that involves a witch. Yes. With another podcast favorite. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Playing the role of older brother Rob with that weird sort of mullet, that weird sort of late 80s, early 90s mullet of his, Paul Scherer, who actually would be best known for his role in Children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice. Well, it sure as hell wasn't The Final Sacrifice, considering they made so many other damn movies of that. But he was also in the seventh season episode Critical Care on Star Trek Voyager. Because it all has to come back to either Star Trek Voyager or Quantum Leap. He was also in Quantum Leap, by the way. Which season of Quantum Leap and what episode? Episode Return of the Evil Leaper, October 8th, 1956 from 1993. Oh, yes! That is a great episode. That's the Evil Leaper trilogy. But hold on. Do you know who's in that episode also? And this ties it. He's it's all ties back together with who we're gonna talk about in a bit. Neil Patrick Harris. He's not the evil leaper, though. No, he's not. But he is the heavy in that episode. He is one the of the heavy heavies. Well, one of the okay. heavies. One of the heavies? Yes. Well, nowadays he dabbles in real estate. In Indianapolis. Not even his native Indianapolis. He's from Rochester. He just deals in Indianapolis with his brother, Chris. Rounding out the three kids on this show, middle kid Jesse, who's a typical 13-year-old girl trying to make it in this big, big world. Jesse is played by podcast favorite, Allison Hannigan. Their father, a recently divorced attorney who's trading in big city law for quiet town lawyering in New England, is played by Frank Lutz, who is a popular stage actor at this time. He kind of looks like what happens if you mix Scott Bayo with some human growth hormone, if you ever saw an episode. But mostly, he dabbles in stage performances. He did play in 
a season four episode of Star Trek The Next Generation as the symbiont Odan in The Host. And he was nominated for a Daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series for his role as Dr. John Bennett on The Doctors. And during this period, he was on a week of the Hollywood Squares. It was soap opera week, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Wait, which version of Hollywood Squares was that? 1979. It was, it was the, the original Hollywood Squares. Okay, well, unfortunately. And, and, and Luz and was featured in the top left-hand square with his co-star Nancy Pinkerton. Well, you know what I'm sad it wasn't, guys. I'm sad it wasn't the version. Frank Lutz and Allison Hannigan were originally not supposed to be on this show. In the pilot, Thomas Harper, TJ, was played by Christopher Rich, who you would know from the George Carlin show and that Archie made-for-TV movie. You remember Christopher Rich. Is that the from Riverdale and Back Again? That was from Riverdale and Back Again. Okay. And playing the uh, role of Jesse would be Shonda Whipple, whose biggest credit would be in four episodes of Unhappily Ever After. Hold on. Is she related to Mr. Whipple? No. Okay, because as we all know, Mr. Whipple was an effing drunk. We all know this. This is a fact. Go back to episode 87. They typecast him as a drunk, absolutely. So they shot the original pilot with Christopher Rich and Shonda Whipple. They liked the cast. They liked Corinne Borer. They liked Ed and Gross. Now, this was originally supposed to be a vehicle for those two. Everybody else was just replaceable. So they replaced... Everybody else, except for Paul Scherer. They replaced Christopher Rich with Frank Lutz and Shonda Whipple with Allison Hannigan. Be still my heart. Anyway. You know what I just remembered? Allison Hannigan, a year earlier, played Dan Aykroyd's daughter in the cinematic masterpiece, My Stepmother is an Alien with Kim Basinger. Are we going to talk about Dog and Cat again? No, but still, that is a cinematic masterpiece. And hold on a second. You know who else was in my stepmother as an alien, guys? Joseph Moore from Second Chance 1987. He was in a TV show with New York Times bestselling author Matthew Perry. Yes. All right, just making sure. You know, I need to get that Matthew Perry book. I will hope that he talks about Second Chance in that book. I would really love it if he talked about it. Everyone will talk about, oh, I love the stuff about friends. No, I'm going to say I love this part about Second Chance. He was an up-and-coming comedian doing pilot after pilot and short-lived show after short-lived show. And then in 1995... 
he just thought, oh, this friend's gig isn't gonna last a long time. Shows what he knows. Speaking of the pilot, let's talk about it. When Gene wishes for someone to help him bowl, because his father, Thomas, busy being a big shot New York lawyer in a small time New England town, two Surprisingly enough, not enough time for his kids. Gene makes a wish for someone to help him bowl. In comes Winnie, who literally falls out of the sky and decides to stay on as the family's housekeeper. Because he was looking for a housekeeper, TJ. She casts a few spells to prove her medal as a witch, to the kids. She cleans up Jean's room. She manages to score tickets to a concert for Rob and Jesse. And she can't really do anything to Thomas except call him by TJ, which, and this is him talking, nobody's ever done before. So after all of that, after a brief spell with leaving, Winnie agrees to stay on as the family's housekeeper. But she has to be careful to keep her secret, especially from Thomas. I don't know if there's consequences, but I imagine that the consequences are really, really harsh. Oh, yes. They'd have to be. I mean, we're dealing with a witch here, for crying out loud. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, we got to deal with a witch here. So, obviously, there's some shenanigans afoot. Obviously, you got to deal with, like, the witch police or something. The place oh, yeah. of witchery. Episode 2. The bosses are coming. Under the guise of Thomas's clients, Winnie's boss wants to take her back to the witch's realm, prompting Winnie to make a deal to remain in the mortal world. This episode is important because it's the first show in the regular Sunday lineup. By the way... Playing said miscreant, a man by the name of Bill Dan Florick, who would be a year or two removed from Law and Order. Episode 3 Wedding Bell Blues. After Thomas's date backs out of a wedding invitation, he asks Winnie to go with him to the event but she might want to check her attire before going. Oh, no. Corky, what do you have to say about that? You won't believe what happened. But hold on. This episode is called Wedding Bell Blues. Wedding Bell Blues. Was the soundtrack for this episode provided by the Fifth Dimension? Nope. Episode four. Too much of a good thing. After Winnie casts a love spell on a girl that Rob has the hots for... Oh, no! No, no, no. Rob learns that he is the only one who can break the spell. But okay, we got a good guest star here. Several good guest stars. Yeah, but this one is... When you think of Allison Hannigan, you always associate her with this guest star. Playing the role of Joey, which is... One of Rob's friends. 
on a side gig from fast food drive-in commercials. Seth Green. Ka-ching, ka-ching. He wouldn't have been on Rally's ads that early. No, it would be 91, but you know what? He wouldn't be saying ka-ching 30 years later when his NFT got stolen. Oh, boy. <laughs> Can't do that show till he gets his NFT back. Nope. And that's just one of the guest stars on this episode. Playing the girl that he likes, Allie Brown would be uh, taking a break from your mama's stories. And then you have Alex Desert, who would be on The Flash a year later. And we'll be covering The Flash hopefully soon. Ezra, please don't do anything stupid until June. Please. And by the way, he is the new voice of Carl Carlson. He was also on six episodes of Prime Video's The League of Their Own, if you are so interested. And playing the role of Chris, Michael Stoyanov, who is a big brother of Mayim Bialik and Joey Lawrence in a couple of years. Whoa! Whoa! Episode 5. Guess who's staying for dinner? A sexy client whose 80-year-old husband has died, wants to be Thomas's next wife. What? Oh, oh my god. Wait, what? Sexy client wants to be Thomas's wife. But her 80-year-old husband has died. So is this an Anne Nicole Smith situation? I believe it is, yes. I have to see who's playing the role of the uh, client, so to speak. Anyway, uh, that prompts a jealous Winnie, who apparently is growing rather attached to Thomas here, to find out the real reason behind this sudden proposal. Meanwhile, Gene records home videos to send to his friends back in New York. Well, Gene, just wait a couple of months, and then there'll be a show on ABC where you can just have all the videos that you can send to Bob Saget. But make sure that the videos include some ball shots. And remember, it takes 10 first-class stamps to send it to Saget. You didn't think I'd remember that, did you? Oh, they had 10 stamps to send that to Bob. Mark Fink, an expert in the form of the uh, family-friendly, or at least the family-accessible comedy, he wrote this episode. Art Delenn, who is a veteran in and of himself, he directed the episode, but playing the role of Melissa Simpson, who is the uh, client whose 80-year-old husband just died, Terry Austin. Ooh, Terry Austin. From Knott's Landing. Yeah, from Knott's Landing. But also, hold on, Chica. She was in an episode of Quantum Leap. Yes, she was. She was in the season two episode, Her Charm. Oh, it gets better. Greg, may want to sit down for this. Okay. She was in an episode of Previous Entry Counter-Strike. Okay. She was on an episode of Wings. Wait, what? 
She was on one episode of Wings. Wait a minute. I have to mention, of course. Of course, was... of course. As he likes to mention ever since that one time where he finally mentioned it. Yeah, 44 episodes ago. Can you believe, guys, that it's now been 44 episodes since I mentioned that I love Wings? Almost six months. Wow. Yeah. You know, generations are going to remember. Where were you when Greg said for the first time ever on this podcast that he loved Wings? It was episode 300. Historians will note that in thousands of years. But I'm not sending. Oh. Because she was in two episodes of Seinfeld. Oh, yes. The episodes The Stranded and The Chinese Restaurant. An all-time classic, The Chinese Restaurant. With James Hong as the maitre d'. I almost don't want to mention this because I know it's going to happen once I do. She was on a 1993 episode of L.A. Law. Just get it out of your system now. Nah, we're not going to do it this time. We used it last episode. We're not going to do overkill on that. Yeah, but she was in an episode of Baywatch Nights. Remember Baywatch Nights? They tried to make Baywatch into a gritty crime drama. Yeah, and it didn't work. And then they decided, you know what? Let's make it into the X-Files. Everyone's going to love it. No. Next episode. Halloweenie. Jesse invites the exclusive clique, the Debs, over for Halloween. An event that Winnie has gone on record as saying she completely despises. Why would a witch despise Halloween? Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah, I, I get that Winnie accidentally turns her invisible and can't reverse the spell. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But okay, we got a good guest star in this episode. Two good guest stars. Oh, yeah. They're like half the Debs right here. We don't know who Cammy Harper or Anne-Marie McAvoy is, but if I were to say Maya Bruton, you'd say, oh, Parker Lewis's little sister. Yeah, because as we all know, Parker Lewis, he can't lose. What if Parker Lewis fought uh, Home Run Rue? Well, Parker Lewis would beat Home Run Rue. He'd kick Home Run Rue's ass. Okay, we forget. All right, there are two other things I should mention that she has been in. Okay? Okay. First, obviously, is Adventures in Babysitting. We can't forget that. Right. But she played... Lorraine's little sister in Back to the Future. But you know who played Lorraine's little brother in Back to the Future? Who? Jason Hervey. Nice. Because remember, he asked Morty, what's a rerun? Because remember, Morty talks about, oh, I've seen this episode of The Honeymooners. And it's like, no, you haven't. It's brand new. I saw it on a rerun. What's a rerun? Eh, you'll find out. But one thing I should note, this episode aired on October 29th of 1989. Uh-huh. Right. You remember, ABC was broadcasting the World Series in 1989. And you all know what happened during that World Series. Yeah. There was like an earthquake. Well, 
if you'll remember, Game 3 was supposed to be played on October 17th, and they didn't play Game 3 until October 27th. And then they played Game 4 the following day, which obviously the A's won the World Series. So that raises a question. If the A's had not won Game 4 that night, if they had lost either Game 3 or 4, I'm guessing this episode would have been preempted because they would have probably have aired Game 5 on October 29th instead. Yeah, yeah. And plus, because the earthquake happened, that pretty much threw the whole schedule in flux. But ultimately, it all worked itself out in the wash. We didn't mention the final Deb, though. Who's the final Deb? A uh, girl by the name of Chris, played by Jenny Lewis. Oh, yes. about in Life uh, with Lucy. Yeah, Life with Lucy. But she was in The Wizard. Cinematic Gold, our generation's version of the Who's Tommy. First appearance of the Power Glove and Super Mario Brothers 3. Episode 7, Two for the Road. After Thomas buys a convertible for Rob and Winnie to share, it's an excited Winnie who really gets behind the wheel and a furious Rob ready to take the keys away from her. Oh, no. Check out who plays the car salesman. Oh, yes. We talked about him in the Shasta McNasty episode. Michael Berger. Yes, that Michael Berger. Episode eight. Not with my sister, you don't. When Jesse goes out with an older boy... Gene and Rob trick Winnie into taking them into an X-rated movie. Oh my god. Oh no! Why? Why would you do this? Because she's Winnie and she's very, very gullible. By the way, uh, this episode, written by April Kelly, who is one of the two creators of Boy Meets World. So yes, technically, she created the Philadelphia Mafia. And uh, we have the whole Crater family. The Crater kid, Chip Crater, was played by James Calvert, who's in everything from House, Future Entry, Deadly Games, and a voice on Star Trek Voyager Elite Force, which I didn't even know was a thing. What? It was a video game based on Star Trek Voyager. How could no one told me this was a thing? Huh. And playing his parents, Claudette Nevins, who was actually in Sleeping with the Enemy, Star Trek Insurrection, and six episodes of JAG. And Brian Clark, who played a role in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter is Dead. Dr. Perlmutter, I believe his name was. Okay. Wow, that's a lot to absorb. I think it's a good time to take a little commercial break. Here's some era-appropriate messages. We'll be back momentarily. After these messages, we'll be right back. Farrah Fawcett gives the performance of her career. They're my kids, and I love them, and I did everything in my power to save them. Emmy winner John Shea. You're a cold-blooded, vicious murderer. A special appearance by Ryan O'Neill. I'm the only one who can get her to tell the truth. Based on a true story, Small Sacrifices, Sunday. Tonight, the most important announcement made since the end of World War II. 
East Germany declares the Berlin Wall open. East Germans free to travel the world. Ronald Reagan talks live about the dawn of a new era on Primetime Live tonight. Friday means TGIF and things are popping. Sooner or later, everybody gets a visit from the Zit Fairy. On Full House. And a photographer is born. I've been looking for a way to express myself. Yeah. English sure hasn't been working. Family matters then. Whenever you're ready, babe. It's home movies with perfect strangers and a snappy new Just the Ten of Us. I see it and I love it. TGIF. It's always funny and it's only Friday. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom returns in a moment. Rex wants to know, what's the ultimate chicken sandwich? Uh, grilled! Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. Please, you go ahead. Oh, I, I... Lettuce, tomato, mayo! How could you talk Oh, one word. Oh, that's hard. One word. Toasted multi-grain bun! Introducing the new Rax Grilled Chicken Breast Sandwich. Only Rax could make a chicken sandwich this good. Speechless. This sandwich literally leaving him speechless. Me too! The new Grilled Chicken Sandwich. Fries and a Pepsi now only $2.99. Rax Restaurants in Spokane and Coeur d'Alene. Don't miss the movies, both day and night. And now in color, sweetheart, not black and white. Don't miss the sports. The financial reports. It's all on cable. Cable's got more of what you want, anytime you want it. HBO movies and much, much more. So take advantage of this money-saving offer and order now. It's all on cable. Cox Cable, $5 installation of basic cable, plus $5 for the first month of any one premium channel. Tomorrow. Are you ready for the football? Randall Cunningham and the Philadelphia Eagles take on the Chicago Bears, ABC's NFL Monday Night Football, America's hit show. Then, MacGyver's a man of action. Tomorrow. Oh, man. Episode 9. Love that Winnie. I love this episode. This is this is yeah. some really crazy stuff here. Some really nutty stuff. So in this episode, Winnie imagines herself in an episode of the Donna Retro. Because obviously she must have been watching some Nick at Night. Of course. But things come slowly to a head when she realizes that life's not that chipper because Jean breaks Thomas's prized watch and she reluctantly agrees to magically fix it. Oh no! Yeah, she's about to discover the hard way that being the perfect homemaker is nothing like a TV show. Oh, that sucks. It does indeed suck. But hey, free use of Donna Reed's likeness and footage. Gotta love it. Oh, that's a plus. That is a big plus. Episode 10, The New Secretary. Oh my god, speaking of Nick at Night. Episode 10, The New Secretary. TJ hires Winnie as his secretary, but he becomes miffed when she tries to reunite a couple who are in the midst of a divorce. Playing the role of the couple, the Stillmans, Blanche and Albert... Florence Henderson and Robert Reed. Oh, yes, of course. Come on. You got Florence Henderson and Robert Reed. Episode 11, Radio Nights. Ooh, Radio Nights. 
Ooh, sounds sexy. Yeah. So Thomas is left stranded at a radio station after a thunderstorm causes a tree to fall and block off a bridge. So already we have trapped in a small space that sort of TV trope that always seems to lend itself to the perfect bottle episode. The storm also strips Witty of her powers, while Jean fears that he will never see his father again. And that's a heartbreak. Well, okay, guys. We got a Hall of Famer in this episode. Not just a Hall of Famer. A certified, bona fide friend of the show. Hi, Tim Stack. How are you doing? Yeah, Timothy Stack is in this episode. He plays Dick Drake. Dick Drake! For the uninitiated where you'd know Tim Stack from, besides friend of the show, as we've mentioned a few times, he was on Nightstand with Dick Dietrich. He was on Son of the Beach. He's been on so many things. If you've seen him, you know who he is. But Greg, I got one new credit, which is going to blow your mind. Okay, what is it? He was part of an ensemble acting cast on the game show pilot called Let's Get Personal. And Greg, I'm going to make it even better. You're not going to believe this. With Tim Stack in this ensemble cast on this game show pilot called Let's Get Personal... Two other people, and we've talked about both of them in the past. I hope you're sitting. This is going to blow your mind. Tim Stack, Larry Anderson, and Sally Julian. Wow. And, of course, Larry Anderson, we're not talking about the baseball player. We're talking about the dad from Life with Lucy. And also he hosted the new Truth or Consequences back in 1987. But Sally Julian... We've talked about her a few times. She was the first model, sidekick, whatever you want to call her, the person who assisted Jim Perry on Sale of the Century back in 1983. We just talked about her earlier this month. Yes, but we'll also be talking about her again sometime in June. I won't say which entry it is, but if you're keeping score at home, that's two mentions of somebody who was in Parker Lewis. Because Tim Stack played the dad on Parker Lewis Can't Lose and thus played the father to Maya Bruton's character also. And also, because again, we always have to shoehorn a reference to this show whenever we can. Sally Julian was on a week of Match Game Hollywood Squares. And we are going to talk about Let's Get Personal at some point. We're thinking right now, Maybe pilot year of 2024 might be a little bit after that, but it's definitely on our radars. Oh, make sure you have your no-dos for that episode. Oh, Oh, that's a horrible, horrible show. All right. Oh, episode 12, We Gotta Be Me. In an effort to stop his annoying behavior, Jesse and Gene ask Winnie to split Rob into two guys. And they still get more annoyed by the results. What? Annoyance ensues. But, oh, we got a big name and a potential Hall of Famer. Oh, no, I think we've said she's she's going to be in the Hall of Fame this year. I think we've said that. Yeah. 
That's right. We're talking about the late, great Rebecca Balding. All right. Now we go to episode 13. Blast from the past. Ooh, boy. Ellen Gylas wrote this one. She's a veteran. And that's going to be important because of who they get to uh, play in this episode. But after a 150-year absence or courtship or quest to win Winnie's hand in marriage, a goofy warlock unexpectedly arrives to claim his prize. His name is Kevin Wenceslas. Three guesses where he got that name from. And playing Kevin Wenceslas... Let me say it. Cut it out! That's right. <laughs> like, how annoying can one warlock be? Annoying it up for two shows on the same network. That would be Dave Collier. Yeah, he'd be a good goofy warlock. I am engaged to Robin Trubosky, and I know that she wrote P.S. I Love You for you. Now, now, why is he so obsessed with you? What? That song's not about me. Then who is in a boat about them? I don't know. I always thought it was Collier. It wasn't me. <laughs> Stop asking. Jeez, cut it out. <laughs> I always like that joke. Oh, we're not even done here. Playing the role of Winnie's father, Mr. Goodwin, because obviously the father needs to give the bride away. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. Michael Constantine. Because we talked about Sirota's court. Yep, he was Judge Sirota. So technically, he could marry his own daughter, except that would be weird. Yes. And then there's the episode that did not make air in the U.S., but it did make air in Australia. Love and death. Rob is instantly smitten with Winnie's sister Cassandra, but after she briefly whisks him away to Niagara Falls, he becomes so phobic that he refuses to leave the house. Oh, no! Oh, wait till we tell you who played Cassandra. Oh, yes, this is a good name. Really good name. Josie Davis. Yeah, she would have been on Charles in Charge. In this episode, playing a pilot, Michael McManus. Not a big name, but the reason I mention him, guys, he was in Police Academy for Citizens on Patrol. And as oh. we know, we've mentioned this plenty of times, especially in the last week or so, Police Academy 4 is the best Police Academy movie. Yes, it is. Even though Assignment Miami Beach at Matt McCoy and Renee Aubergenois. Of all the episodes to not air in the U.S., we missed this one? We missed the Josie Davis episode. How could you, ABC? How? Oh, I could give you a couple of reasons. And it gets back to uh, the point I was trying to make at the top of this podcast, as we're looking at the schedule. It did do killer ratings in its slot on Fridays in between Perfect Strangers and 2020. But then they moved it to Sundays at 8 o'clock. 
opposite Sister Kate on NBC, America's Most Wanted on Fox, and Murder, She Wrote. That'll do it. Ratings plummeted under the weight of Murder, She Wrote. There were a couple of Sundays in November where they pulled the show entirely to make room for the Sunday night movie. And then they pulled it again for America's Funniest Home Videos. Oh, yeah, because then America's Funniest Home Videos was starting up. And then that became the big hit of 1990. So this show was sacrificed for America's Funniest Home Videos. Free Spirit died so America's Funniest Home Videos could live. That's right. So this show was sacrificed so we could see those glorious ball shots. Yep. And January 14th, 1990, they aired the last episode at 8.30, right after America's Funniest Home Videos, which did not do any better, especially because it was on opposite another new winter 1990 entry, The Simpsons. Oh, God. I hate to say it, but yeah, the show did get really bad press, and it was a really hard watch, but I have to believe that this show was cursed. Oh, it was. It was definitely cursed. Yeah, what was supposed to be the final episode of the 14 produced that was supposed to air on January 21st, it was replaced by a full house rerun, and it did remarkably better. Oh, jeez. But still not better than The Simpsons, I'm afraid. Oh, no. Don't cry for the career of anyone involved with this show. I mean, yes, the show did not get a proper official home video release. It was not put on Crackle or any streamer whatsoever. However, you can watch most of the episodes that made it to air unofficially on YouTube. But yeah, don't cry for anybody associated with this show. Frank Lutz still enjoys a fruitful stage career. Corinne Borer is still busy with work. Paul Scherer and Eden Gross have found vocations outside the business and they're happy. And then there's Allison Hannigan who managed to somehow find her way through Fighting witches and vampires, and shacking up with Jason Siegel. Oh yeah, and she also works with Penn and Teller a lot. Free Spirit would be what you call a speed bump in the road. Just drive over it and move on ahead with your life. And what of TGIF? You really want us to tell you what happened to GGIF? I mean, it's known what happens to TGIF. It became the de facto block for family programming on a Friday night. But Free Spirit was not part of it. In fact, I have from the Wilmington Morning Star, Faye Zuckerman writes, Free Spirit is reminiscent of The Sound of Music, Bewitched, I Dream of Jeannie, and yes, 1987's I Marry Dora. 
As in Dora, a hard-working divorced father, Thomas Harper, is the head of a family with three lovable children. His youngest child, Lonely Jean, wishes for a friend, so Winnie the Good Witch Goodwin appears. Inside is her claim to fame, witchcraft is her game. She insinuates herself into the Harper family and is soon loved by Harper's three children, Jean, Jesse, and Rob. The children know of her special powers, Harper does not, and hiding her abilities from him is central to the comedy. The message is, it's okay to be sneaky around your parents to protect a witch. Why does ABC keep rolling out these below-average comedies? Youngsters, it seems, approve of the show. They enjoy watching child stars parade around in the latest junior fashions. That's the appeal of Full House, just the ten of us, and most likely Free Spirit, which will not lift any adult's spirit. And sure enough, it did enough to score on Friday nights, but left to stand alone on Sundays, it just failed to cast a spell. Oh. That was the best pun I could come up with. Oh, yeah. All right, any thoughts? Well, I have to think that maybe if they had put Free Spirit on TJF like from the beginning and not put it on Sundays, it probably would have easily done well as we saw with the ratings from the pilot. But for whatever reason, ABC was like, yeah, we'll put this on Sundays. And it didn't do well against Murder, She Wrote. And you're not beating Murder, She Wrote, so... And you're definitely not beating The Simpsons. Well, what can we say about Free Spirit? It had a young Allison Hannigan, but in 1989 and 1990, it was just a thing on TV. It had less charm than The Charmings, if that was possible. By the way, did we mention that The Charmings also had Christopher Rich in it? Oh yeah, it did. We might cover that in a future entry. Eh, who knows? But of course, if you want to hear more fun stuff, you can go to our website, it was a thing on TV.com, where you can listen to the other three hundred and forty three episodes that precede this. And you can also go everywhere where fine podcasts are streamed to listen to our episodes. We're everywhere. We're Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Stitcher, tune in. The works. Audible. We're on Audible now. Yes, we're on Amazon Audible, yes. And you can also follow us on all our social media feeds at It Was A Thing On TV, except for Facebook, where unfortunately some witches, like, they took away It Was A Thing On TV from us on Facebook. And so they had to give us It Was A Thing On TV podcast. And so we were like, okay, we'll take it. That's fine. You're on YouTube. Don't forget, yeah. like our videos, share our videos, help us get some word of mouth advertising, smash that notification bell so you can stay up to date with all of our upcoming topics. Yes, we got the Super Bowl coming up, so we got two sports-related entries coming up next week, and we got a Super Bowl-related episode in two weeks. But first, this was my Election Day pick. And so we're going to cover it in the first episode next week. What happens when you have 
Ryan O'Neill and Farrah Fawcett in a sports center like setting. I don't know. Heavy action. Yeah, I guess heavy action. But also, next week, we're going to be talking about a special football related made for TV movie. But also, we got a star studded cast, but we got, I think for the first time proper in this podcast, we're going to be talking about the ninth most effable woman in the world. And if you know, you know. That's all I'm going to say. But you'll find out more about that next week, right here on It Was a Thing on TV. For Mike, for Chico, I'm Greg. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you for the next one. In stereo, mind you. Nice. Yeah. Row! So, Allison, I'm loving this, like, American Pie reunion. Me too. But here's my question. Do people still walk up to you and say this one time at band camp? Yes, they do, which is lovely to be associated with the movie people still know. But I have two daughters now, and (laughs) when they're with me and they, like, people don't follow through, right? Saying the line, I'm like, could we just stop there? Like, yes. Like, I'm not, I I get really panicked. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. They know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh I don't want to have this conversation with them yet. I've never thought about that because you have kids. Yeah. That's, well, wait, you have kids too, though. So, like, wait, wait, when it came out, did your kids see it? No. <laughs> no, my, my, my daughter was uh, 12, and so that... That's a little early. Uh, that's, that's a little early. My son was 15, and he was going to come with us in Los Angeles. We went down for the premiere yeah. of the movie. And the night before the premiere, he, he said uh, he was on the phone call with his friend back in Toronto. And they said, well, what's going on? He said, well, I'm going to the premiere of American Pie uh, tomorrow night with my folks. And the friend said, oh, don't see it with your folks. <laughs> Don't see it with your folks. Bad you don't want to see this with your folks. <laughs> so he came to us and said, you know what? I, I think I'm not going to go tomorrow, and I'll see it when I go back to Toronto with my friends. And I, and I thought, oh, well, okay, it's going to be a big night. Meanwhile, we went to the premiere, saw the movie. I'm so glad he wasn't there. Oh, that's so yeah. awkward. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs>